Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter. Before we read the very first verse, let me kind of divide it up for you. The first six verses, you have the four hallelujahs. In fact, you can mark them as we go along. Verses 1 through 6, the four hallelujahs. And we'll divide up who is... Who are saying these hallelujahs. And then verses 7 through 10, you have the marriage of the Lamb. In verses 11 through 16, you have Christ coming in glory. This is the chapter we've been looking for uh, when we've been speaking all the way through that when Christ comes in the 19th chapter, these things will be finalized. The things we've been studying through the tribulation and putting an end to all of it and climax of all of it. And then verses 17 through 21, you have the battle of Armageddon and the execution of wrath. God's wrath and judgment finally has to come upon wickedness, upon the beast and the false prophet, upon the nations that gather against him in that great battle of Armageddon. So Christ will be executing His righteous judgment upon the nations and upon men. And that's verses 17 through 21, the battle of Armageddon and the execution of wrath. So the first four uh, hallelujahs we find in verses 1 through 6. And we'll begin reading there in verse 1. It says, and after these things, by the way, it's always important to notice that beginning of the verse, and after these things. Before we even take up the hallelujahs, let's think about that statement after these things. What things have happened? All the things that we studied from the fourth chapter on, or the sixth chapter, you might say, when the tribulation began. Chapter 4 said, and after these things, a door was opened in heaven. And I saw a door opened in heaven. And the things that would be hereafter. And... Uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, before that was the church age, chapters 2 and 3. And then chapter 6, Jesus begins to open these seals, the seven-sealed scroll or book of Revelation. And He begins to reveal what's going to take place from chapter 6 on to this point. That's why we have after these things. From chapter 6 on to this point, the great tribulation has taken place. The great tribulation of seven years. We have it divided in the context of the, what we have read and studied in the past. Remember the three and a half years and the three and a half years? Or 42 months or uh, 1260 days? You know, it's put in various terms. And it's also used as a time and, a, and times and a half a time. One time being a year, and times being two years, and a half a time being a half a year. So all of these terms are used to describe the three and a half years of tribulation period. So no wonder John now uh, starts out, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Now it's a, it's a heavenly scene, and the hallelujahs are in heaven. And notice what he says here. Uh, salvation and glory 
and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Because now uh, the salvation was completed. Now there's a time for hallelujahs. The sufferings of the great tribulation are over. And there's joy in heaven because Christ is about to uh, do many things. For, first of all, there will be a, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Their marriage uh, of the Lamb in heaven. And then there will be Christ coming back in power and great glory. And all those that are with Him will come in power and great glory. And then He will bring judgment at the end of the chapter upon the wicked. And the battle of Armageddon will take place. And He will do away with that. Remember the beast in chapter 13 and the false prophet, the Antichrist? He'll do away. He'll judge those two evil characters uh, that uh, have given so much trouble during the tribulation period. So here, no wonder you find that they are saying, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Now, who is saying that? In verse 2, it says, for, the, for true and righteous are His judgments. God's judgments are always right. Let me stop there for just a moment before we get into this. had a man call me this week and he wanted to argue with me about... Uh, some passage in the Old Testament, and I could tell you which it is in the book of Numbers. And uh, understanding when God brought judgment upon those that had committed sin against uh, in the, the incident of Baal Peor, and uh, the children of Israel were led away into adultery and idolatry and uh, terrible sins. In fact, it's mentioned even here in the book of Revelation earlier. And he wanted to talked to me, he said, we ought to just throw the whole book of Numbers out. And I said, well, I, I'm not going to throw any part of the Bible out, but I will say it's hard to understand why God did some of the things and commanded Moses to do some of the things that He did. And I'll readily admit that, but I'm not God. And I don't know why what His purpose was, but I know when God says something, that's the way it ought to be. And the Bible says here that true and righteous are His judgments. And we might see some things happening here, even in this 19th chapter, when he comes and that battle of Armageddon takes place. But remember, he is defending what is right, and he's doing what is right against all evil. And that's what we have to... So he talked a great deal, and I told him, I said, well, I'm not going to ever be guilty of getting rid of any part of God's Word, and but I do know that the circumstances and the situations that we read of a terrible... Uh, things happening in the Old Testament, and even some under God's command, I'm not going to question as to whether it was right or wrong. I know it would be hard for us to do some of the things. And uh, you can go back and check it out. In the book of Numbers, I'll give you the chapter and verse. But uh, I'll do that at another time. Let's look at this now. It says, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. And we're talking about a spiritual thing here. Uh, she had drawn away people from, from God, and she was the false church, and the false teacher, and the one that was promoting evil, and uh, trying to uh, get all to worship the beast, and etc. So, uh, God had judged which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged... Now, this is the part I want you to see. We said the hallelujah, and hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. So, this company that's saying hallelujah in verse 1 is the company of martyrs who had died during the tribulation period. 
See, that's who it's talking about. Hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. We talked about the tribulation martyrs, remember? In chapter 6, chapter 6, verse... Uh, let me give this to you. Under the fifth seal... Verse 9, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. That's 6 verse 9. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So these first martyrs of the tribulation wanted God to judge then and avenge. And it's, he's, they're saying, how long is it going to be? Well, the length of time is Revelation 19, verse 1 and 2. He had avenged the blood, and he's about to really... Uh, they, they are rejoicing now because the tribulation is over and He's going to come in the, again in the battle of Armageddon and He's going to destroy all the evil and the wicked and He's going to fully avenge their blood. Now, in chapter 7, verse 14, we're talking about those that are uh, uh, martyrs of the tribulation. 7, 14 says this, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are they, they wondered who these were, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So anticipating the coming of Christ, and uh, they had already been saved, they were the martyrs of the tribulation. So there were the first group that were martyred, and then the rest of them during the tribulation period, there were martyrs. So that's who's singing this first hallelujah. Praise ye Jehovah. Or praise the Lord, as you find it in verse 5. But now, in verse 3, you have this same group, the second hallelujah, in verse 3. And you have chapter 19, verse 3. Always hold your place, please, where we're studying. So verse 3 says, And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. So the judgment upon uh, the great false religion and false worship on this uh, harlot, the mother of harlots, Babylon the Great, the judgment had just been completed. And it says, And her smoke rose up forever and ever. So they had good reason to praise and rejoice. Now then in verse 4. It says, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. It says Hallelujah here, but it's Hallelujah is the same thing. H-A-L or A-L-L. Now then, notice this, the four and twenty elders. You remember when we studied the four and twenty elders? They were typical of all the redeemed of the Old and New Testament. Way back in the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter, we studied the, the 24 elders. And we showed you how that they're representative of a priestly uh, group. And they are, therefore, 
Uh, and we went into detail when we studied that, and I won't go time to recap it because it would be too lengthy. But they represent both the Old and New Testament saints. They're in the presence of God, and they're worshiping God, and they praise God. And notice the four beasts here. Uh, it says the four beasts, and remember when we identified them earlier in the fourth and fifth chapter as living creatures. They're not beasts in an evil sense of the word. Remember, later on we taught you in the 13th chapter these two beasts that were evil. But these four beasts refer back to those living creatures of the 4th and 5th chapter that are good. And we have all the good things about them. Heavenly creatures. And so the 24 elders and these heavenly creatures are seen here. Uh, falling down, worshiping God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. So these 24 elders and these living creatures are distinct. They're a distinct company, company from those others that were praising God. They are a distinct company from those martyred saints. The 24 elders were at the beginning of the tribulation period, even before it began. In the presence of God. Remember? And the, and the living creatures were there at that time. The heavenly creatures. But the martyred saints were during the tribulation. So the first three verses have to do with the martyred saints of the tribulation. Saying hallelujah, hallelujah. We said we give you those four hallelujahs. But the fourth verse here, as you look at it, you might circle that word hallelujah in verse 1, and again in verse 3, and again in verse 4. Or highlight it, or whatever you want to do. You have it in verse 1, and verse 3, and verse 4. And then we'll have another one in verse 6. But let's go on. Uh, what I'm saying is that the hallelujah here of the 24 elders is different and a different group than the Ones of the martyred saints. Now then in verse 5. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. So the voice in heaven uh, is just really confirming and saying this is exactly what they ought to be doing is praising God. They, uh, this voice from the, uh, came out of the throne from uh, heaven is saying, Praise ye Jehovah. It's telling, it's in, in encouragement for them to keep on. And the ones that are to do that. Now then, when you get down to verse 6, you have a multitude. And this includes all the redeemed in glory are going to say hallelujah. Look at verse 6 and see the word hallelujah. Now, verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters. That's like a lot of people and the sound of many waters. The sound of a multitude. And as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So you have this great multitude that includes all the redeemed in glory. Isn't that a wonderful thing that finally... You have the various groups. You have the martyred saints saying, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You have the 24 elders and the four living creatures saying, Hallelujah. Then you have the voice from heaven encouraging this Hallelujah. Then in verse 6, you have the multitude seen as a whole, all the redeemed. 
saying hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. They realize now that God is, that Jesus is in control. That God is reigning. That God is, is on, on the throne. That He's about to put an end to all the troubles of the tribulation period. When He comes shortly in power and great glory. They have reason to rejoice because the hour is at hand for the coming of Christ. Uh, now let's look verses 7 through 10. We have the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Lamb. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Before we read any further, let me say that in the Old Testament, Israel was married to Jehovah in a spiritual sense because of a covenant relationship. That's the way God classified the nation of Israel as His wife. She was separated and outcast because of her sins, and God put her away and, and got rid of her in a spiritual sense of the word. Divorced. But now we're talking about a different group here. We're talking about the bride. We're talking about his wife in the New Testament sense of the word. Actually, the, the New Testament church is seen here. And we'll give you some scriptures to show you that the church of the New Testament is represented here that will be joined to Christ in a spiritual way. And the intimacy is spoken of in this way to show their spiritual uh, relationship. So it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife, that's the New Testament church, hath made herself ready. She is ready. She is ready because she's prepared by grace. She's been washed in the blood of Christ. The robe of the precious blood of Christ is her title to glory. By the way, that's your title and mine. We're including ourselves now at this point in time. We're talking about the New Testament church that has already been taken up in the fourth chapter, remember? And now the time has come that uh, this relationship will be fully known when just about the time Christ is ready to come back in power and great glory. So the marriage of the Lamb has come. And His wife hath made herself ready. We'll talk about who that bride is. Let me read on down through verse uh, 10 and then we'll come back to uh, talk about this bride of Christ. The Lamb is Christ. The wife here, the bride, is the church. And... Uh, We'll give you some references about that bride shortly. But let's read verse 8. And to her was granted. Granted, that means she had permission to, that it was by grace that anything should happen. That she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now then, we know that the robe of Christ's righteousness is substituted. That we receive that by grace. We don't earn that at all. But then as a result, this word righteousness here has to do with the righteousnesses or the righteous deeds of the saints, showing also that these are a result of having been having received Christ's righteousness, and you can look it up and study it out, but this pertains, this righteousness of saints here pertains to the righteousnesses of our lives that also are by the grace of God. Because we could not have any righteousnesses 
were it not apart from the grace of or, or apart from the grace of God. So we have God's substituted righteousness, which qualifies us for heaven, and we have also the the results of Christ's righteousness in our lives that produces righteous acts and deeds, and therefore we're ready. In every sense of the word. And there's a time there in heaven. We don't know when it will happen. Maybe at the fourth chapter or maybe long in here. But there will be the judgment seat of Christ. And and all of our sins will be, all of our uh, life will be uh, brought up before the Lord. We'll uh, stand before Him as He uh, brings judgment, as He looks upon us in judgment, the judgment seat of Christ for our life and our work and our fellowship, our service. Will all be taken into account. We've studied that in three aspects before. And all of it will be known and seen. And then shall, the Bible says back in the, in the uh, epistles, and then shall every man have praise of God. So, this marriage of the Lamb will take place. At some point in time, the judgment seat of Christ will take place. It's mentioned in the fourth chapter where John is caught up and there's a throne set in heaven and that throne is set for judgment. But the time element and the chronology of the whole book of Revelation, you don't have to say this happens and this happens and this happens. Remember, we studied that a great deal. We're getting an overall view of all that happens, not the actual time limit of it. Except when you get to about this point in time, you know that you're getting into uh, a time element that is past the tribulation. And it's beginning to stem into the things of eternity. So you might say there is some chronology here now from now on. And the eternal state will be revealed in the 21st and 22nd chapter. So actually we're getting to the place now that you can say all of this tribulation is past that was spoken of in an overall view and now Christ is, is coming in power and great glory. But before that happens, we're going to see what happens in heaven. And that's the marriage of the Lamb. Now then, look at verse uh, 9. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed. The church will be glorified in the presence of Christ. Uh, there will be uh, the wonderful experience of of uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this language is used to show our relationship to God at that time after the tribulation is over and all this, the New Testament church is seen. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Verse 10 says, And I fell at, at his feet to worship him. John falls at the feet of this, this uh, angel. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, all the way through the Bible, whether saint or angel, we're told not to worship anyone but God. All the way through. This, this man worship or image worship or idol worship or any other mediation or mediator is off. God, the, the angels say worship God. We're not to worship one another. Though he be an angel. Or though be, he be an apostle. We start out, and this is John the Beloved. Or the, 
it says, uh, if you remember, I told you in the first chapter in the introduction, it says the revelation of St. John the Divine. Well, he was St. John the Divine. He was one of the apostles. But he doesn't try to claim that he is to be worshipped. And certainly he's willing to worship God and at the direction, proper directions. Now then, uh, we said we're going to give you some things about the bride. I want to read two or three passages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. It says this. Paul says, concerning the church, a local church, uh, Christians of the church at Corinth, he says, for I am jealous. This is 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. I am jealous, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I want to present you as the bride of Christ. As a chaste virgin to Christ. So he says, you're espoused to one husband. That's to Christ. And when the time comes, Revelation 19, that will be realized. What Paul is talking about. Let me give you something else. In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 verse 25 through 27. Let's read this. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Now look, verse 26. That He might present it, might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. So it's cleansed, it's purified. That He might present it, that is, to Himself, a glorious church. Christ is going to present that church to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Down uh, verse 32, Paul says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And then he takes the husband and wife and he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So husband and wife relationship is used to symbolize and to picturize the fact that the Lord will have the church presented to him holy and without spot and without blemish. And so that wonderful time is going to take place. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 4 verse 17, it says this, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that's when the dead in Christ, we, we could read that whole passage, but most of you are familiar with it. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there comes a time that the dead in Christ and the living believers will already be with the Lord. By the way, this particular thing takes place at the fourth chapter, verse 1. When we're caught up, as John John's being, John being caught up symbolizes the church, the rapture of the church, the rapture of the saints. And so we're already with Him in heaven. See, here in Revelation 19, we're already with the Lord. The dead in Christ have been resurrected in chapter 4, verse 1. The living believers have been taken up also in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, they have been in heaven with the Lord all during this terrible tribulation that t- took place upon the earth from chapter 6 on through chapter 18, and we're in chapter 19 now. And so they're seen in heaven at the marriage 
supper of the Lamb and the marriage of the Lamb is ready to take place. That final relationship. She is both the, the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Now then, uh, by the way, if you'll notice, the 24 elders representing the Old and New Testament saints, though they were used for all that period of time to represent the redeemed of the Old and New Testament, they're off the scene now because now we're dealing with just the church, not the 24 elders. So it doesn't say the 24 elders are the ones that are taking part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's, taking, it's talking about a New Testament uh, bride of Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that the Old Testament saints are not in heaven, but they're there. And they're represented by the 24 elders that we have already spoken of that were saying hallelujah. They're all rejoicing because God is going to make them all one family uh, in heaven, in glory. And then all the redeemed are coming back to the earth with Christ before this chapter is over. And they're coming back with Him. The armies of heaven follow Him. And Israel that is going through the tribulation period, listen carefully now, the physical, literal tribulation period is going to enter into that millennial kingdom in the 20th chapter here, along with those that come back with Christ and will enter into that millennial kingdom. And there will be a thousand year reign of rule and reign of Christ upon this earth. But that's going to be the redemption of Israel. They're going to go through the tribulation period, protected somewhat, the ones that are, the remnant. And they shall look on Him whom they pierced. They shall mourn for Him as for an only Son when He comes again in this chapter, the 19th chapter. And we had that uh, uh, declaration in the early part. The first chapter said, Behold, He cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and all kindreds of earth shall wail because of Him. Well, now it's going to take place. And He's going to come in power and great glory. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus said, except uh, those days should be shortened. And also in Luke's Gospel, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Or they'll be limited. Or they will be, God knows the time element for them. So, He's talking about there shall no flesh be saved. And there have been many preachers that have taken that out of context and said, well, except God shortens the days, well, uh, you know, none of and he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And except those days shall be shortened, no flesh shall be saved. Well, that has to do with the salvation at the end of the tribulation and through the tribulation. If you had to endure, have you ever heard folks say that didn't believe in security of the believer said, I'm going to hold on to the end so I'll be saved. Well, thank God, it's not your holding on, but it's God's promise that you're ready for the, for the inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and you're kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. If it depended on your holding on, it would be pretty, uh, pretty flimsy. But it's, it's, God's that's hold, it's God that's holding on to you. Ever seen a... A man and his little boy or little girl cross the street. And he holds on to that hand tightly. Well now, where's the security? You say, the kid holding on to his dad's hand. No, it's that strong hand that's holding on to him. I realize they have to be joined together. But if that dad let go out in the traffic or whatever, 
or danger would come. But if, if, if that dad holds on, there's secure, security. And so the Father holds our hand. And the Bible tells us that we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith into salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Now then, let's look at this again. In verses 11-16, through 16, we're going to see Christ coming back in power and great glory. In verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened. Remember, there was open heaven and a door was opened in heaven in chapter 4, verse 1. We got a glimpse of the, of the martyrs in heaven in chapter 6, verse 9. Remember the, the martyrs that we talked about. We got a glimpse of heaven in the angel priest in 8, verse 1 through, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, where you see Jesus, the angel priest. And various other places up to this point, we've got several instances where we get a glimpse into heaven. But now, he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. How does he judge and make war? In righteousness. Sometimes there is a righteous cause, and a righteous judgment, and a righteous war. That has to be waged. Uh, faithful and true. God is faithful and true. Jesus is the one who's spoken of here. Verse 12 says, His eyes were as a flame of fire, penetrating, burning fire. And on His head were many crowns. That's Christ. He had many crowns. The redeemed will have crowns, but Christ will have many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. You say, well, we know his name. Yes, but this was a a special, private, personal thing between he and the Father. That no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Now, this is not the blood of the cross. This is the vesture that's dipped in blood because you find it in the Old Testament we've given you uh, scriptures before about this, where he's coming with a vesture dipped in blood, and it's the blood of the of the judgment that's about to be poured out, and his vesture will be dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We know he shed his blood for our sins, but he, this time we're talking about the blood of judgment. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen. White and clean. Look back and who has the fine linen white and clean? Look at verse 8. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So who are the armies of heaven? The saints that are coming back with Him in power and great glory. When He comes back, this, they're going to, the armies of heaven followed Him upon white horses. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, this language is symbolical. Jesus is coming as a conqueror. He's coming, he's seen, he's coming on a white horse. We know the Bible says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Uh, the Bible tells, tells us in Acts chapter 1, This same Jesus, which was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come. He'll come personally, visibly, and bodily. 
It doesn't literally mean we'll have to ride a white horse when we're coming back. But we'll be seen as coming back with Him who is the victor, and we'll be the armies of heaven. And the victory that He wins, we will share. The victory that Christ wins, we will share. We'll be there with Him. We won't have to fight the battle because He's, he's sufficient. The armies will come with Him, but we don't have to do the fighting. Remember one time in the Old Testament, there was one says, Well, Lord, we're not able to go up against this group of people, you know, the days and battles of some of the kings. God says, all you have to do is be there. So just show up. He says, the battle's not yours, but the Lord's. And all you have to do is be present and enjoy the victory. And that's all we're going to have to do then. Just be there. So, verse 15, it says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. The word, of, the word of His power. When He speaks, it will be like a sharp sword. That with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them <coughs> with a rod of iron. <clears throat> now then, look at this. And He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now that's the vesture dipped in blood. He treadeth the winepress uh, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You know, so far we've been studying uh, about judgment that is poured out upon the earth. Now he's talking about the final judgment that will be poured out upon the earth. At the battle of Armageddon and the execution of his divine wrath upon all wicked nations and men. And down here in verse 20 we'll read of the beast and the false prophet. Those that we've been studying about previously to show how wicked and mean and terrible and that they would kill those that did not take the mark of the beast and all of the wicked system during the uh, earlier part of the the book of Revelation here in the tribulation period. And now the Lord says, I've had enough of that. says, this is going to be the end of that. When God's patience wires out, then their judgment comes. Remember, God's patience ran out with the wicked world in Noah's day. said, the, the end of all flesh has come before me because they have turned to, to they, they have corrupted themselves. They've grieved me at the heart. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God says, I'm going to put an end to it. And He judged the whole wicked world. In the days of uh, Lot, he called Lot and his wife and two daughters. He led them out. Literally had to pull them out of Sodom. And God had said to Abraham, says, I'm going to destroy that wicked place. And just as soon as they were out of there, well, God brought fire and brimstone upon those cities of the plain because of their sins. If you go back and study their sins, it was uh, the sin of wickedness, homosexuality, lesbianism, and so on. And someone says that God doesn't hate sin. He loves any sinner, but He hates all sin. And He will judge it. He will judge it. We're not, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with God, you're not playing around. we got these commentators on trying to justify this and justify that and the other. And they're making a big to-do about this lady, uh, Ellen, that come out, you know, and lesbian lady. And how it made her career, even in spite of that, and so on and so forth. Well, they can do what they want to, but God says it's wrong. God's Word tells us that the, He created man and woman for each other. And that's the way it ought to be. And that in a marriage 
relationship, it says it's honorable in, in, in God. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And any other situation is wrong. Now, right here, uh, the judgment will finally come. So verse 15 says, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. We can give you reference after reference, even in the Old Testament. If you want to jot some down real quickly, I'm going to try to finish this chapter, but I'll tell you what I want you to jot down. Joel chapter 3, verse 2, and verses 9 through 12. And Zechariah 14, verses 2 through 5. That'll be enough to give you just of what we're studying. Now then, look at uh, verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Joel 3, verse 2, and then verses 9 through 12. Zechariah 14, verses 2 through 5. Someone was asking. Okay, so he's King of kings and Lord of lords when he's coming again. Power and great glory. Now then, verses 17 through 21, you find Christ executing this righteous judgment. We've already given you that division. That battle of Armageddon takes place. The judgment of the beast and the false prophet. And let's hurry on. Verse 17. Verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. (coughs) Come and gather yourselves together. Unto the supper of the great God. And by the way, if you read in the original, it's the great supper of God. The, the adjective, the great, modifies the supper. God is great. But it's the great supper that's the final supper of God. There are three supper times in the Bible. The gospel supper where it says, come for all things are now ready. You find that in Luke's gospel. Chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. I preached on this one time. God's three supper times. The gospel supper. And then the one we just had in this 19th chapter. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That was in verse verse, uh, uh, 9. And now, this is the, the last supper. The great supper of God. Which is the supper for all the flesh. Uh, the birds of the air, the carrion birds, will eat of the, the carnage that comes in that great battle of Armageddon. You see your old uh, western movies, how out in the desert, you know, and you'll see the buzzards flying around. And the cowboy and the group, they said, well, something's happened over there. There's, there's a group been slain or there's someone killed or maybe in some of the wars they had or whatever. And they see those buzzards flying around. They're looking for that, uh, those dead corpses lying out there in the field or out in the mountains or out in the hills. And the same thing will take place here. God is going to invite them to feast upon all of the slain of that great battle of Armageddon. You think this doesn't get rough? And why it will get rough is because all of these heathen nations and, and these people that have followed uh, the beast and worship the beast and have gone against God and defied God. God says, this is the final straw. This is all of it. This is all of it. He says, I'm sick of it. And Christ is coming back again in power and great glory. And when He comes and He puts an end to all that evil, 
Then the 20th chapter, we're going to find a rule of millennial, a thousand year reign of peace and righteousness. And Isaiah prophesies of it and says they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and they'll, they, they, nation will not lift up a, a sword against nation anymore. And they'll learn of war. All the military academies will go out of business. They'll learn of war no more. Won't have to. I don't know how close we are to that time. And the fellow that predicts it doesn't know either. But I do know this. I know that the time could be near. But I know when God gets ready, it's going to happen. God's Word says it's going to happen. We see things happening and everyone says, oh, well, this has got to be it. We see NATO doing their thing and the United Nations doing so and so. 